the Unicorns podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. ACS, once known as the Australian Computer Society, is the professional association of Australia's tech sector. Specifically, it represents the information and communication technology sector. Its members are in the thousands and cut across all parts of the economy and business. Its CEO is Rupert Grayston, and he joins me now. Rupert, welcome to the program. Thank you, Justin. Okay, tell us about your professional background, Rupert, and how you came to be the CEO of ACS. Sure. So I started my career as a as an engineering professional, structural engineer, and was an engineering consultant in Australia and overseas for many years, and then went into the steel industry uh, in technical support and and market development, and uh, and then joined, uh, th- through my own pro- professional body, Engineers Australia, first as a volunteer. Uh, and then as a staff member, I got involved with association management. And mm-hmm. uh, and through that, I became interested in professional frameworks. And I spent a lot of time studying and developing the professional frameworks for engineers, the chartered system, engineering registration, uh, ethical codes, uh, and uh, and CPD systems. And then it went on to, uh, I was many years engineer Australia, but then went on to, to do that sort of work uh, across other occupational areas and to help mm-hmm. other professional bodies and regulators. And uh, that's really what I came to the ACS to do three years ago, is to to, to build and, and reform the professional frameworks for how we recognise higher education programs, degrees and master's programs, uh, and uh, and and the, the building certifications and, and our CPD, uh, our educational systems, our ethical codes, and the things that will professionalise uh, the ICT sector into the future. And, that, and now you're the CEO. So along the way, I, uh, I became asked to step into the CEO role uh, for an interperiod of 12 months during a, a transitionary period for the organisation. And so what is the ACS? So the ACS, we're a professional body, and that means we're a, a, an organisation of individual members rather than, rather than of companies. We don't represent the corporate sector. Uh, and we're, a professional body means that we have... Uh, we actually have a public uh, duty or a public role. We're, we're here for the good of the community uh, rather than just for the individual uh, interests of, of members. Uh, and so, and so our, our, our constitution sort of reflects that. We've got actually a public role and hence we provide, uh, we do uh, research and we provide public policy advice in a balanced way. But our members are, we have about 5,000 professional members, but we're an inclusive membership organisation. So we have about 45 thousand members in all associate members and those who who are are, are in um, have an interest in technology or are or are students or graduates or, or migrants um, but may not uh, be recognized as professionals uh, as yet uh, but the core of our membership and the core of our governance are the the uh, the recognized professional ICT members and where are the members presumably scattered all over the country they are indeed all around Australia. We have branch offices all around Australia and all the capital cities. Uh, but the ICT sector is, is uh, you know, it, it is, is quite predominant in, in, in Sydney, Melbourne and, and, and Brisbane. And where are you based, Rupert? Well, my home office is Barangaroo, uh, but uh, during COVID, I'm usually working out of a home office uh, in Canberra. In Canberra. Okay. Um, what, what are the goals of the ACS and, and how, I suppose, do you go about trying to achieve them? 
So the ACS seeks to uplift the uh, the technology sector in Australia uh, to be, I guess, more competitive and and to and to and to uh, to benefit the community. So we have sort of three pillars of our of our uh, strategic plan. The first being around capacity. Now the ICT sector has for a long time had a uh, a skill shortage. That means simply uh, not enough people uh, for for management and, and, and professional jobs in ICT. So capacity is about, uh, about helping you grow. And so that includes uh, our accreditation of higher education programs and, uh, and of migration skills assessments and STEM programs in schools, all things we do to help to bring people into the industry and to retain them. The second pillar is about capability. So it's also about have, having the right skills uh, uh, for those who are in the sector. And these, these, are our, these are our educational programs for our members, uh, also our uh, uh, certification uh, systems that that uh, that accredit individuals and and attest to their skills. Sp- uh, 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 certifications around specialisms like uh, data science and cyber security, micro credentials, and the the things that we do to strengthen um, uh, t- uh, technical knowledge. We we do a lot of technical development and technical standards work. And the third pillar is what we call catalyst, and that that that, that is us actually helping. Uh, helping the, uh, the uh, innovation in Australia. So the ACS actually runs and hosts innovation labs in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane uh, for, for startup and scale up innovation businesses. So we're helping the sector to grow. This is a, a critical uh, part of the, uh, the, uh, the tech, tech ecosystem in Australia. We're not doing as well as we should uh, internationally. So we're actually helping to, to grow and nurture that sector. We're also funding uh, research into into uh, standards such as such as data sharing or or, or, or uh, security standards and and uh, uh, and um, and helping uh, helping the broader uh, sector and ecosystem to improve. You mentioned skill shortages that I noticed that was um, highlighted in the uh, the Digital Pulse report, which was uh, released a, a short time ago. Um, what can businesses in Australia do, uh, particularly with borders being closed, international borders, some state borders, to address the problem of skills shortages? Yes, a terrific question, Justin. It's that uh, the, we, we are seeing this the increasing skill shortage last year. You mentioned Digital Pulse last year. Uh, the uh, the digital economy and, and digital workforce actually grew by four and a half percent. So we're needing sixty thousand new people coming into the sector every year, and um, and uh, a lot of that short, a lot of that was being made up from uh, school migration in, in past years, and that's now been disrupted. Uh, we also uh, no longer have the international student feedstock for years coming up. So we've got to get better at using the resources at our disposal. We still have uh, a lot of people in country from uh, from who, who did uh, come across our borders pre-COVID, mm. either international students or or people or, or, or people on temporary uh, temporary visas. So we still have an un- and some of those are underutilized. We still have um, underutilized uh, uh, migrant workers with uh, in in the tech sector with tech skills, and um, we're we are we're actually trying to do some work with government and we and and industry can play a role into this to better utilize and upskill. Uh, upskill that cohort. Okay. The other important cohort is going to be the reskilling uh, of, uh, of 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 mature age people, people in the workforce uh, uh, who are in other occupational areas and who might have tech skills or develop tech and data skills, and can get reskilled uh, into uh, to become tech professionals of the future. Hmm. 
And I imagine there's been a bit of that going on since, um, well, since the middle of last year when COVID really hit. Absolutely. And uh, simply by way of demographics and, and numbers, we're, uh, we are going to be increasingly relying on on that uh, reskilling and that transition into the future. And it's, it's a kind of natural one if you think about it. Many people in their job roles now increasingly uh, use technology and, and are becoming upskilled simply to do their own jobs, or they might be a data owner or a process owner. And it's not a big stretch to upskill to actually become a fully fledged uh, tech professional and shift across from your traditional occupational domain to be the person who's actually looking after the technology for the organization. Rupert, who would you say is ultimately responsible for aligning the skills of the workforce with what is needed? So I think there's a collective uh, um, responsibility there and a collective interest. It's obviously in the interests of individuals, of employers, of governments, universities, uh, um, the the uh, uh, organisations like us, the not-for-profit uh, industry bodies. We've all got a role. We've all got uh, uh, a responsibility uh, and each of us has something that we can do best. So I think it's a, it's a whole of economy and, and, and whole of country uh, challenge uh, and opportunity. You mentioned earlier in one of your previous answers about the innovation labs that you've established on the east coast of Australia. Can you tell us a little bit more about those, please? Certainly. So uh, we're, we're increasingly seeking to help the broader uh, innovation ecosystem. That means anyone who's trying to be an innovator, anyone who's trying to set up a startup or scale up a company in in a technology-related uh, um, uh, area of activity, we're, we're trying to bring those those people together. We also try to provide information and support. It's a it's a, a complicated journey of learning, and there are things that you can learn and be supported on uh, to 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 enable that journey of growing a, a uh, growing a company and and um, uh, and uh, growing into profitability and and finding uh, Australian international markets. So we're helping the capability uh, growth. We're also helping to bring people together and helping people get visible to their cust- their future customers and investors and to actually find their markets. So we actually have floor plate. Uh, we, we actually have tenants in mm-hmm. our innovation labs, yep. in, uh, in River City Labs in Brisbane, uh, in Harbour City Labs uh, in, in Sydney, uh, at, in our offices in Barangaroo. The tower and um, and in uh, in the Docklands in Melbourne uh, in our Bay City Labs we actually have facilities that uh, enable uh, small uh, scale up companies to come and uh, set up and have uh, have desks and facilities and meeting rooms and places to bring their clients and also an environment in which they can network with each other uh, and we also provide mentoring and support and and uh, and learning and 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 we have a structure by which those those uh, fledgling companies. Uh, can 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 better organise themselves uh, to to grow into their future. And are you finding, Rupert, in those examples where you see companies sitting alongside each other, that that collaboration potentially on a shared problem is is leading to increased success? Absolutely, uh, Justin. So we hear that from our lab tenants. It's really quite exciting to to see it happen in in uh, and and we've had uh, quite a few, particularly in Sydney, who've grown. Too big for us, and that's the idea that we want them to, to grow great, and go out. Yes, that's right. And when they get to a certain size, uh, we have a conversation. Say it's uh, it's time to move on, and um, so we've got uh, we've got this alumni of, of companies uh, that that used to be in our labs in Sydney, successful uh, um, Australian innovation firms, and there's been also the the the, the firms that have been through our, our Sydney labs in the last three years have attracted 
over fifty million dollars in commercialization in, in investment. Mm. And so the so this has been these are the sort of outcomes that we can we can see coming from that Sydney lab. They're very exciting. So let's let's wind the clock back, Rupert. If you were graduating today into this economy, what would your first move be? Well, um, sounds simple, but get a job. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> so. So I think the first thing is that that you need to you know that the, there's a big hurdle about workplace skills, and so the first thing I would be to do is say, have I already developed those workplace skills? And if not, I probably should have by now. But if not, I, I need to do that first. I actually need to get into a, a workplace environment where I'm going to learn some. Uh, where I'm going to actually learn a uh, a, a foundation role, yes. you know, have some uh, core skills that I can then develop, that I can build off into the future. So I think in, in any job role, uh, the workplace skills, in other words, just being able to sit and work within an organisation at a desk, using business tools, having meetings, interacting with with others and clients, uh, is important. Just to spend some time learning how to do that but also uh, learning your trade, if you like, uh, whatever mm. it is, whatever your tech area, spend some years just doing that. And then, you know, the world, the world is your, your, your oyster. I would also be looking uh, to, 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 to understanding what is happening in my sector, understand my mm. uh, often university students are rather protected from uh, the, 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 the broader world. And it's a big learning curve, just learning who's out there, what the companies are, what the, what the industries are, where the growth sectors are. I'd be looking to those those growth areas uh, in tech, I'd be I'd be taking a keen interest in artificial intelligence uh, and in uh, perhaps in blockchain technologies, certainly cybersecurity, uh, in uh, you know, smart cities. See what's going on uh, and see if I can tap into that or see if I've got a a, a pathway to one of these growth sectors. Mm. I mean, I think that's excellent advice to to find potentially the the jobs of the future. Indeed. So there's often, Rupert, a reported, um, I guess, mismatch between those skills of a graduate just finishing a degree um, from what they learn in, a, say, a university course and the skills that are required uh, within industry. Actually, boots on the ground, you're in the job. So if, if you could change um, some of the elements of the, of the current system, what would that be? Yes, yeah, so a good question. This comes up quite a lot, and and uh, it uh, um, uh, and I think for, first of all, I would say uh, you know I've been in and around universities for a long time now, and I would say that universities are good at uh, at the things they're good at, and whilst we need them to do uh, things that are on the fringes of their sort of core areas of activity, we shouldn't expect them to be a workplace. Uh, we shouldn't expect them to to, to be the place that uh, that you know uh, that that conducts. Uh, um, um, Internships. So, yes. what we do at the ACS accredits, um, uh, you know, to international standards, uh, accredits uh, uh, around three hundred and fifty degree and masters programs in, in ICT, data science, cybersecurity at, at, at around forty two Australian uh, universities and higher education institutions. So, so we've got a, 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 a big reach into that education market, and the standards that we set again benchmarked internationally require. Uh, certain things which do develop workplace skills. But as I say, you can only expect so much in university. You're actually developing your foundation knowledge and there's a lot to learn. And uh, so, but we're trying to bridge into the workplace. So we do require, and there's, there's, there's some things that uh, students don't often understand. You know, why does the university make me do these really annoying group projects? 
uh, and things like that. Uh, I did plenty of them. <laughs> and there's a reason behind it. We, act, we, in fact, insist, you know, on behalf of the industry, we insist. And we know that it's not always fun, it's not always perfect, but actually it's it's simulating part of the workplace. If you go yes. into the workplace and you've never had to get on with others and, and work in, in an imperfect group on an imperfect project, then uh, that's that's a preparation you haven't uh, you know you haven't mm. learned. So students don't always understand why we're making them having to interact, make them having to interact with each other. It is a life learning. It's very important. We're also having uh, we're requiring uh, the universities to organise uh, work placements, the the uh, and or simulated work environments within the university, and uh, we're and they 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 have to have projects that these complex computing projects that bring it all together in the final year. So a lot of that is about the things that simulate in the best ways that you can within a university environment the type of thinking and skill sets that you'll need to apply in the workplace. It is still, nevertheless, a bit of a step on. And the one thing that I would change about the current system uh, would be the understanding the students have of of what it's all about and what it means. And what that would mean is that uh, if 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 students really knew what uh, what what was important in, in getting a job, they would all be giving up their their um, their hospitality part time jobs. Yes. They would be finding office jobs simply to learn an office skill. My daughter herself is doing this down in Melbourne. Uh, she she's got a part time job in office to learn office skills uh, because she knows that's going to make her her more employable uh, in her occupational area, which is not that but she's getting yeah, off yeah. office based no, workplace yeah, but it. simply to learn uh, learn how to work in a in an, in an actual workplace environment you cannot simulate that in university entirely and i think that's the important i think the thing i would change is the is the information that reaches students for them to have that insight therefore they would get a, a, some context and some of the things that the university requires them to do uh, and they would also be much more motivated to go and find ways of developing mm. those skills over and above what the university sets up for them. Are you able to make, Rupert, an assessment on how Australia compares to the rest of the world when it comes to um, our sophistication, uh, our intelligence, when it comes to the tech sector? So our annual um, research uh publication Digital Pulse, which uh, we've been doing now for seven years with Deloitte Access Economics, really does look into this. It, it, it compares, it's a, it's a health check yep. on our digital economy and digital capability across industry, government, uh, um, individuals, you know, homes. And it looks at, at our, our, our infrastructure like the NBN. It looks at, looks at our, our, our STEM performance at school. It looks at the uptake of, of um uh, of, of of online services by you know uh, um, by the public and and the delivery of that by governments and and the utilization of technology by industry by different industries. So what it's told what it what what uh, that research piece tells us uh, continually over the years is that we have been we've been kind of average. We're, we're quite good at some things, not so good at other things. But across the OECD, which is the uh, the advanced economies to, uh, with which we compare ourselves and compete. Uh, we haven't exactly been head of the pack. Uh, right. We've been doing yeah. things to improve, uh, but we are perhaps still a little bit reliant on some of the the, uh, the other parts of our economy in Australia that are doing well and that earn us revenue. We're not hungry enough to be the best who, at technology. Who are, who are some of those standout nations there that we can shine a light on? Uh, well, the US has always been been uh, you know been a strong leader. China is extraordinarily 
uh, strong and, and in, if we look at things like uh, patents uh, in, in, in new areas like blockchain, mm. China is a standout. Uh, uh, the US is still there, but China has been, been accelerating. Uh, Israel is a very interesting uh, standout and, and they've leveraged off, um, uh, they've got nurtured uh, uh, tech startups and so on. A lot of that's come out of their, their, their significant defense sector and, and indeed the um, uh, the 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 requirement for young people to go through you know go through a um, <clears throat> go, go through defence uh, they do a lot of training up of people in technology uh, in defence and and that spins off into industry so they've they've actually nurtured their uh, their public sector uh, and um, and fed back into their private sector we've seen some other countries in Europe being pretty good at that too mm. so how do we get better Rupert I know that's a that's a, probably a really hard question to answer and you you probably touched on some of it through your responses but if you if you had a wish list how do we how do we make sure we're better at, at this stuff so some of this some of this is about um, government policy settings federal and state governments <clears throat> some of it is about how how the government works itself uh, some of it is about um, you know what we do in our private industries and and uh, and some of it is about organizations you know the many organizations like us that help to try to stimulate thinking and research uh, and and encourage uh, improvements. So I think there's, um, there, there's, it, it requires many things, but um, one of the places to start is, is, is government itself uh, in being better at tech and, and uh, about politicians and policymakers having a stronger tech awareness. So we do spend a lot of time with politicians, try to, uh, I, I guess, try to foster that thinking. Uh, but, but interestingly, the, 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 the federal government and New South Wales state government uh, are, are leading the way in, uh, in, in different ways in, in terms of professionalizing ICT. Uh, and I think the, the, uh, the, the, the federal government has done a very interesting thing in creating a digital profession and a data profession across the Australian public service, across departments uh, and agencies, and, 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 and simulating uh, a, um, a membership body uh, and requiring all those in significant ICT positions uh, to to be qualified and recognised internally, and they'll be they're now starting to look at the service providers into government. So that's one way in which gov the government is acting to to stimulate professionalisation uh, of industry, uh, without which it's it's uh, you know it's going to be pretty slow moving. Uh, so th that's that's one very effective way. The New mm -hmm. South Wales government has been, uh, you know, Minister Dominello and is is a is a great thought leader and and uh, a champion of of tech, and and uh, they've been. Uh, particularly forthcoming in 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 uh, 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 applying technology to public service delivery and online services and and uh, uh, and uh, utilizing AI and uh, and I think uh, they provide a terrific you know example to, to to uplift other states. So if you think about um, what we've all been through with uh, the coronavirus pandemic, technology has really been uh, the backbone, I suppose, of keeping the economy moving with everyone doing remote working. Um, but this technology, I suppose, was hardly used pre-pandemic. It's everywhere now. Are there any other technologies that you think are just waiting to become mainstream? So the artificial intelligence, is, it's talked about a lot. You know, we, we, it's, uh, it's sort of seen as something a little bit scary, uh, but actually it's, it's, it's coming and it's, you know, it's starting to to, to be a, a key element of uh, you know government services deliveries mm -hmm. and so on, and, and it's a, it's a it's a powerful tool for us and a powerful enabler. Uh, of course, it does have its it does come with its risks, and we need we need standards and and uh, and, and and safeguards and protocols. 
but but AI is is, go, is going to be a, a massive driver uh, of um, productivity and economic success. Uh, and um, you know, not, not surprisingly, the Chinese government has has uh, has, has put enormous uh, efforts into uh, AI advances, and the big tech companies uh, based in the US likewise. So it's an area that we need to be good at in Australia, uh, but it's certainly going to drive is going to drive change and it's going to impact on on the jobs that we do. Do you think there's a a looming issue with the advancement of technology with older generations, quote unquote, being left behind? So I think older generations, uh, perhaps those, let's say, in retirement sort of uh, years, uh, will increasingly need to utilise technology to to access services. And so there's going to be, you know, that's going to be another dimension of of, uh, of the of support of, of people in that those sort of retirement years will be uh, yet another sort of form of support needed would is to to assist people with accessing online information. Uh, but I think in 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 the, for those in mid mid career and even in in advanced sort of um, stages of their careers, uh, everybody is upskilling really, and and, mm. and and upskilling is going to be critical for the great majority of the workforce. And nobody needs to be left behind because it's all changing. And and we're, we can all uh, uptake, uh, you know, and, and improve our tech skills. So yes, there, there is that danger. There is a danger of younger generations being, uh, um, uh, you know, more courageous and less uh, less fearful of tech, or or, or more more of it, you know, expecting that they will be able to to adapt and, and uptake technologies. Uh, but it's an important thing, a barrier for for others to break through. It's uh, it, it is going to be critical to <clears throat> redeployment. Of, of many people in mid-careers uh, is uh, technology skills will enable uh, them to extend their careers and to and you know to have better jobs. How do you answer the assertion that the tech industry, the tech sector, is a bit of a boys' club? Um, that not enough is being done to bridge the gap uh, to bring more women into the tech sector. So uh, our digital pulse publication. Uh, of this year, uh, looked into that. We asked uh, we asked Deloitte to look into what would happen if we improved the situation in terms of uh, uh, gender participation. So we have about twenty nine percent of of um, uh, tech workers are, are female. Uh, the representation within universities is 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 a bit better than that, but uh, our retention is not so good. We we have a uh, our retention rate. Uh, the attrition rate of, of, of female tech workers is double that of men. Is it? Uh, so we're not attracting, why. Why? Uh, nor why? are we retaining. So there's going to be a number of reasons that, that we see in you know a lot of other male-dominated uh, job roles. Some of it's going to be about culture. Some of it's going to be about the design of job roles, family friendliness, for instance. Mm. Uh, and some of it will be um, <clears throat> will be about um, uh, individual aspirations. There's a number of things that we can do to improve that, and and um, the ACS we're trying to do our bit. One of the first things that uh, that is important is is role models and inspiring uh, young women, you know, more young women to go into tech careers. Uh, and the other thing, the other important thing to do is is about workplaces themselves. And in, in uh, there's a there's a natural tendency for male dominated workplaces to be less female friendly, uh, and it just sort of works out that way. But there are corrective things that can be done. Uh, if that's uh, if if organisations uh, are uh, are so willing, so we uh, we have a the ACS we have a national um, uh, a, a council for uh, for um, uh, diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. and they've published recommendations for organisations around uh, the, how to detect and correct 
for those things that might uh, impact on 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 attracting and, and retaining women in the workplace. So we're seeking to uh, promote uh, these practices and these things. But the first thing we need to do within ourselves is ACS needs to, uh, you know, we want to set about showing, uh, uh, having, demonstrating female role models. We want to, to be more, have more visibility uh, of successful women, women in tech careers. Uh, they're certainly there, but we need to do more to, to highlight uh, and set that example. What about um, a code of practice for the tech sector? I know there's such a thing for for doctors, for lawyers, for other professional services. Um, is there something that the tech sector can can do in relation to a code of practice to increase professionalisation of the profession? So the ACS has a, a professional code of conduct for our members, but our members are uh, you know, a, a very small number in, in, in a large sector, a relatively small number. Uh, nevertheless, it's, it's a standard that we, we've, we have set, which would, uh, would be for the community benefit. Um, and so professionalization is, is uh, you know, the, say the gov- governments are starting to do uh, their bit to drive, drive pre- professionalization. I think uh, the tech sector needs professionalism because, uh, because society needs it. Uh, we need uh, our, our economy uh, and, and public services uh, businesses are so beholden now to reliable technology uh, and to to ethical uh, technology service services delivery that we need we need the kind of culture and the the protections that that you have in 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 let's say law or accounting professions uh, we need the same expectation of tech professionals and those signing off on on big decisions in in, in major tech projects and uh, and and those who are uh, responsible for for functionality. Uh, it is important that we have those 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 broad ethical skills and that commitment uh, to the public interest. So this is we're on a mission to grow this, uh, and um, uh, we we think the, that professional bodies are are the professional associations and membership bodies are the places traditionally where uh, these ethical standards are developed and nurtured. Well, we wish you well in that uh, campaign, Rupert. It's been fantastic catching up with you today, and we wish you all the very best. Uh, for the future. Rupert Grayston, CEO of ACS, thank you for coming on to the program. Thank you, Justin. Thank you.